people writing into British Army Review saying uh, House of Commons is not representative uh, of and is it, the, the, the defence voice isn't being heard in the House. Uh, and I do think that's certainly been turned around in, in, the, in this Parliament for sure. Uh, and, and I think um, that's partly because I reckon the electorate out there recognise the, the, the parallels that exist between um, serving your country in the armed forces and serving society in a, in a representative role, like being a, a district councillor, a, a county councillor, a borough councillor or an MP. My name is Johnny Ball and I'm the founder of Campaign Force, a not-for-profit that inspires, trains and coaches the armed forces community to stand up and serve again. I've served on the front line of military operations and in civilian life, the front line of UK politics. This Veterans in Politics podcast is a set of interviews brought to you by Campaign Force and sets out to explore how the military community can help make our politics a better place. I lean into my little black book of contacts and sit down with individuals from across the world of politics, sharing secrets, giving tips and advice and inspiring the next generation. We are Campaign Force. This is the Veterans in Politics podcast. Let's introduce you to our guest. In this episode, we meet the newest veteran in the House of Commons, Richard Ford MP, who was elected for the Lib Dems in a by-election in 2022. Our hosts Johnny and Richard explore his military career and the impact a tour of the Balkans had, as well as the transferable skills and experiences he has found from the military to politics. Richard is also the Lib Dems defence spokesman, so unsurprisingly, we hear about how defence policy views are reached. Don't forget to support our show by subscribing via the link in the show notes to help us produce even more episodes. It's time for you to meet our guest. And here we are in Portcullis House. So if you can hear the hub and bub of Parliament behind us, that explains why. why. But I'm, I'm sat with Richard Ford, who is the latest veteran in politics, having been elected in a famous by-election in 2022. How's it being an MP? Thank you, Johnny. It's, um, it's, it's quite an exciting time, to be honest. Uh, I mean, it's, it's uh, a massive privilege to be serving in Parliament. I've been here now for seven months and uh, it, it's been, well, a pretty wild time in politics for, for seven months. And I, I feel like I've had a front row seat on some pretty major developments. You don't say. And in fact, you're not our first Lib Dem. Uh, in Parliament. So we interviewed Jamie Stone in uh, season two, I think it was now. But you are the latest. And I have fronted you up as a veteran in politics. We like to ask all our guests a little bit about their military backgrounds. You know, what were the good, the bad and the ugly bits of your military career? Sure. Okay. Um, well, if we if we start with the uh, with the good, I mean, there's some real, real highlights. I think um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed a tour in Kosovo working for the UN. Uh, I was working for a two-star general and we were transitioning the former Kosovo Protection Corps into, uh, I mean, they, they, they were the Kosovo Liberation Army. We were turning them into the Kosovo Security Force of today. Um, so we were, we were working with some um, lovable rogues in, uh, it, it, that, that had been the, the, the KI. I can relate to that from Afghanistan with the, the Taliban and the Afghan lo- local police. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, uh, I mean, it's that, that sort of whole business of security sector reform is, is, was really very interesting to me. Uh, that was a highlight. I guess what else? Probably um, uh, promoting to uh, acting major when I was uh, sort of seven years in. That was, um, 
I mean, it's a, it's a pretty rapid career transition these days, I expect, from the point of view of, of some people who've been serving a long time. You know, the, the, uh, I, I can remember NCOs and warrant officers telling me that you know, officers were just zipping through ranks uh, as if they were doing one, one a year. And, and I, can, I can well see that. But it was, um, it was fantastic to, uh, to, to, to have the privilege of, of teaching captains about international affairs and defence issues, which I did then for a couple of years. And that's your main focus, right? Training, education, as part of the ETS branch of the yeah. General School? Yeah, that's right. And, and I, I would say Defence and International Affairs was where it was at for me from day one. Uh, I, I, um, when I was at Sandhurst, I, I, I won the Sheikh Salam al-Sabah Prize for Defence and International Affairs. I was, uh, I was the, the geeky SWAT, as I was told by the, you know, one, of the, one of the captains at Sandhurst who was ragging me around the place. Um, so, so, yeah, it, it was always very much... Uh, international affairs and teaching for me has much changed the geeky swat side of richard i i no i guess it hasn't really i i, I still i still am fascinated by uh by all things um defense and international affairs for sure john yeah and now you're the lib dem spokesman on defense as well yeah and uh i mean that that is um a huge privilege but you know it, it's of course a small party we are 14 mps in the house of commons um, but we have a big party membership in the country. And so um, it, it is a responsibility really to, to take some of the uh, enthusiasm, some of the um, great policy ideas that people are coming up with in the party and to try to condense them into something that resembles uh, party policy. And, and I think it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good time to be doing this because um, here we are probably 18 months out from an election uh, and we we have a, a very tense international situation um, I say good time to be doing it in, in, in the sense that um, I, th I think uh, each political party needs to be very credible on defence right now and we uh, un unlike in a lot of areas of, uh, of party politics where we expect a certain amount of punch and duty I think there's a responsibility in the defence portfolio to be a lot more grown up than that um, and so I, I do regard it as a responsibility not just to try and pick holes in what the government's doing, but also to point out where I think they're getting it right. And uh, I think possibly even to, to help those people in government who are in charge of the defence portfolio who might sometimes need a little bit of opposition support to try to, uh, should we say, get the best deal for defence that they can. I think that's fair enough. I think defence is probably the one area that the public have seen some good of politics obviously ukraine being the, the the case study for that where by and large we've seen cross-party consensus even when we had an unpopular prime minister quite frankly we still saw cross-party support for our uh, the way in which we've approached defense the support to the secretary of state as well so i think it's probably a good example of where politics can be a force for good it's not all punch and judy uh, and obviously i espouse that the people that come from a defence background, also give, act as that kind of human bridge on that shared values and standards and shared experiences of military service. And you've already alluded to a fair amount of your military experience has been in Europe. I mean, how have you kind of reconciled that lived experience of working in the armed forces? I think you served about a decade. Or so. Yeah. Um, and, and how have you reconciled that and almost then picked up a policy view and and had to elevate the, the, the micro experience and elevate that to a macro experience. Yeah, 
I, I think there is there is actually a danger in uh, in in having s- lots of um, previous experience that you if you if you bring too much of it to bear in, in terms of policy. Uh, I mean, we've all kind of heard that mantra around uh, a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing, and I think. When, when we're serving in the armed forces, um, our perspective tends to be, um, you know, the, the, the place that we're serving in at the time, it tends to be a perspective on, you know, the operation that we're involved in or perhaps, you know, uh, the, the, the unit that we're serving with. That's quite emotional, right, that connection? Yeah, it's, it's a really good way of putting it. It's, it's, it's an emotional connection with, uh, with whatever operation you're tasked with at the time. Um, you know, and of course, with the people alongside whom you're serving, and and so, you know, I, I think that there's a certain amount of that uh, that you, you should bring to bear in in policy, and in in talking uh, in politics. But um, there's a certain you know you, you wouldn't want to, to to kind of reference back to it all the time. You know, I, and I think uh, some from what I've seen so far in Parliament, other parliamentarians are. are very selective. They're rightly very selective about where they bring their defence experience to bear. Um, they know not to thrash it. They know not to kind of uh, use it in, 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 at every opportunity. But just very selectively, we'll bring it to bear if it relates very specifically to the thing that's being debated at the time. Yeah, I think we have a danger of kind of almost a, a homogenous view about those from the armed forces. Because if you look a bit deeper, if you've served the armed forces, we've got those hard skill trades behind it as well. You've essentially been a teacher, yeah. so I'm sure you've got a view on education and yeah. training too. I have, I have. It's true, and and that's um, that that's a, a good thing to um, I think to, to sort of have people in Parliament who've got a variety of experience. You know, it, this is to and I, and I know uh, Johnny in, in coming up with with this initiative. You know, you you wanted to break out of the mould of the special advisor who goes on in a, in a very traditional political career. Try uh, and, and, and 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 I mean, you know. Uh, I think what's what's uh, what I'm what I'm learning is is that you've got to be across a lot of stuff um, as an MP. You know, you, you you might be a defence spokesperson, or you might have I don't know a, a ministerial or a shadow ministerial role, but you've still got to be very much abreast of what else is is going on and and uh, and spread yourself pretty thinly, which doesn't really allow actually for you to get too much into the detail. Um, and that's why I think it's really important to bring external experience from outside of Parliament. So, you know, to bring in people who spent years, be it, you know, working in one of the armed forces or, or you know, being whether they've got experience of health or education, just to bring that external experience to bear is massively important. Yeah, completely. I think it's just a bit of diversity of thought, right? Yeah. Because we've tended, I mean, traditionally, there were a lot of lawyers and this is a place where we're sat now where legislation happens. Uh, so, yeah, you might argue it's a good idea to have a few lawyers in the mix. Um, and the same, to be fair, same for special advisors and those that have only worked in politics. Yeah. Because that's useful. It is but useful. I think 18% of the current cohort are ex-special advisor route. That's too many. Yeah. And we're actually quite well presented. I say we, the armed forces in Parliament, with yeah. 52, I think, with you now, um, having an armed forces background. So we're doing all right at the moment. Yeah, and it hasn't always been like that. I can remember when I joined the army in the year 2000, it was certainly nothing like. Um, and I can remember, you know, uh, people writing into British Army Review saying our House of Commons is not representative uh, of... And it's, the the, the defence voice isn't being heard in the House. 
Um, and I do think that's certainly been turned around in, in, the, in this parliament for sure. Um, and, and I think um, that's partly because I reckon the electorate out there recognise the, the, the parallels that exist between um, serving your country in the armed forces and serving society in a, in a representative role, like being a, a district councillor, a, a county councillor, a borough councillor or an MP. Yeah, and I think at local level, that's where we really need our main effort. It's great. We've got some great role models like yourself, which is why I do this, because through storytelling, I know someone, a senior RAF officer, standing for local council because you listen to this podcast. So if we can do more of that, get people serving in their communities, the better. Um, and the other point, of course, you mentioned back to 2000, of course, we had people like Paddy Ashdown around then, you know, a political hero to many people. Um, and sadly, uh, no longer with us, but probably one of the most famous veterans in politics. And if I could get in a time machine and go and interview Paddy Ashdown, um, I really, I really would. Um, but we are seeing quite a good um, cross section of both uh, ex-regulars like yourself and reservists, some still serving in the, in the reserve. And we mentioned about their ability to work cross party. And of course, um, I bang on all the time about uh, and evangelise for this. But and we've also spoken about other sections of society. I mean, what other you as a constituency MP, you must you meet amazing selfless people every constituency surgery, right? I mean, are we tapping into the community more widely? What other kind of parts of society do you think we should be tapping into? Before we get that response from Richard, just a quick word about our new subscription service. You can support the show for less than a cup of tea a month to keep more content like this coming at you. And you'll also get a nice little shout out from me for supporting the show. Well, hey, what's not like to like about that? So, what you need to do, go to the show notes and you'll be able to see, click on a little tab there and that'll take you straight to our subscription and you'll be able to get a nice little thank you from me. So just like Andrew Huggins, thank you so much for your support. You can become one of our absolutely legendary subscribers. Anyway, let's get back to Richard. Thank you. Well, uh, I mean, I think what you've got to know if you're going to step up and, and serve in a, in a council or, uh, or, or run for parliament, whatever it may be, um, is, is that you are going to be called upon to do things that probably aren't precisely what you want to do. At the time. I mean, I've, I regard myself as having been enormously lucky, right? Uh, I was interested in defence. I ran for parliament, I got elected, and now I'm working on defence most days, right? Uh, that that is that is uh, a, a very fortunate route uh, by sheer good luck, um, and I think we have to recognise that there are aspects to, um, to, to to local government, for example, that that that, that are probably quite dull. Certainly, um, I think people shouldn't be deterred by this because I think what for, for many people who join the armed forces, the overriding uh, desire when when you when you decide in that first instance to serve in, in the armed forces is that you want to serve your community you you have a sort of sense of pride in your community it might it might be the nation it might be something a little bit more regional or local to you yeah like the regimental system yeah, really yeah good that. that's right absolutely you know you, you and and certainly when you're serving you know it's very much about loyalty and it's it's hard to shake that you know it um i can remember uh leaving in in 2010 11 and just feeling quite depressed for a while that that that, that kind of the, the camaraderie had gone and life just seemed a bit stayed and boring did you manage to replace it back then when you left 
um, no, not 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 entirely. Not not for a while. I mean, I I, I would say um, party politics helped actually. You know, it's 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 the sort of uh, business of kind of having the, the the blue team and the red team. It, not not you know not in party political terms. Of course, I'm a different colour, but but you know, it's the sort of uh, that 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 um, business of uh, competition, the, the cut and thrust that you get in the armed forces that isn't always there with some civvy jobs. Yeah, I think you're right. And in parts of politics, you know, we even use military terms like campaign when we talk about politics. You get a sense of that, that team. And you'd have built up a team um, from the by-election. It's quite an intense, that operational environment almost when you're finding by-election, right? Um, And that by-election did happen. A moment came. All of a sudden, you're presented with that moment. But was there a moment before there that enabled you to be ready so when, when the balloon went up and you had an opportunity to stand that by-election, I mean, if you wind it right back, was there a moment where you just went, do you know what, I'm absolutely fed up. I've, I, I, I kind of need to put myself forward and become a politician. Um, I guess it was, it was pretty soon after leaving, after leaving the army. I, uh, in, in sort of 2011, I thought to myself, uh, I, I, I really want to be uh, w- working not necessarily in government, but challenging the government, holding them to account. Uh, but being an opposition politician has its attractions for me. I, know, I, I mean, I was listening to this series, and uh, I thought James Heapy had made a really interesting point when you interviewed him about you know, when you are presented with an opportunity to, uh, to, to be in government, you seize it, uh, I think he said to you. Well, he says it's almost like a duty in, in coming upon right. us. He did, he did. But I would say that uh, I think he's probably right. But the same is also true of... of um, uh, of, of opposition or, or indeed being a backbench MP uh, or being, being a, I don't know, might be on the, your local scrutiny committee for, for your council, whatever it is. I, I still think there's, there's a whole lot of value to be had in uh, taking a good long look at what the, what the cabinet's doing or what, what the governing party is doing and seeing if you can find any f- shortcomings or ways in which it can be improved. And that, for me, was a really central driving um, concern, e- even while my party was in government back in 2010 to 15. Have you found any of those ways since to kind of be that, that scrutineer, that, that protagonist? I, th- I think um, from, the, from being a backbench MP, this is, this is the bread and butter of the job. Uh, I mean, each, each day we are uh, given an opportunity to, um, to, to, to question ministers, to, to take part in oral questions in the House. Um, it will vary day by day. Defence comes up probably once every three weeks or so, um, but but I mean, it gives you that opportunity to be across all sorts of stuff. I mean, t- tomorrow it'll be the Attorney General. Um, you know, I, I plan to ask her about setting up a special tribunal for Ukraine and and trying Russia for the crime of aggression. I mean, don't think you see much <laughs> disagreement there. Surely, no. Well, well, well true. Um, Although there are subtleties, you know, there, there are sort of uh, some who are f- a bit more forward leaning on it than others. Um, and there are others who kind of can see barriers where, you know, where I might not. And so there are, there are, there are you know, when you get down into the detail, there are differences of opinion. Um, I think sometimes there are fundamental differences of opinion in defence. Um, you know, we, we, are, we have a consensus at the moment around Ukraine, but of course, uh, when it came to the invasion of Iraq in 2003, uh, the Liberal Democrats took a, a very different position to that which the Labour government or the Conservative opposition took at the time. Um, and, and that, for me, was uh, quite, quite a big driver for me to, uh, to, to move and take more interest in the, in the Liberal Democrats. 
I'll be honest, I was quite happy that I was, uh, I think I was in a ski resort doing it as a ski rep at that time of the Iraq invasion. So I did uh, see, and sadly I lost a classmate as well, right. um, Tom Tanswell uh, from the Royal Artillery. And so I was kind of torn a little bit about the reasons for going into Iraq. Obviously hindsight is 50-50 vision and everyone goes, oh yeah, you know, of course it was the wrong thing. Uh, but less so of Afghanistan. In fact, Afghanistan was the reason why I re-enlisted. Uh, because there was that pull, that drive uh, to, yeah. to get involved. Yeah, um, and likewise, I had I had no hesitation in supporting the uh, Afghanistan intervention for all for all its sort of um, you know, for all its challenges. Uh, and and I, I'm sure you know some people listening will have served there and have very mixed emotions about the place. I've got to ask: um, when you are asking a, an oral question and you get get to your feet, what kind of emotions go through? I know personally, I'm actually I guess I'm a a learned extrovert. I'm actually quite introverted. Uh, I love this because, yeah, we're having a one-on-one. -on -one. It's brilliant. Uh, but to stand up and ask a question while all the eyes are on you, so, and, and the TV cameras as well, I mean, what's that like? How do you prepare yourself physically, emotionally, to get up and ask an important question? All I can say is you, you've got to believe in it. I, I can't imagine that it would be very easy for someone just to read a scripted question that someone else had written for them without actually having some conviction underpinning it you've got to, you've got to have i think uh, a real real belief and it might be a belief in a distinctive policy position or it might be you know uh, a belief that the government's doing the right thing but you've got to believe in it um and, and also I, I do find that every day i am drawing upon my experience outside of the house of commons be it in the army or be it in universities where i was working for 11 or 12 years you know every day it, it is is that external experience that counts because day by day here you've barely got time to move you know you just you're across so many different things you don't ever get the chance to properly specialize and become expert in anything yeah belief I, i've been exploring that word a lot lately and i think that, you know once that self-belief is realized um and it's a fine line isn't it because that can like tip the other way but belief is so important and people will see that and they hear that in your voice, the way you stand, your body language, everything. If you believe in what you're talking about. And that's why, you know, most, the most famous speech about belief was Martin Luther King, right? Um, in terms of that famous speech. So, yeah, belief. Let's believe, everyone. You um, <laughs> <laughs> listen to this. And, um, and as I alluded to earlier on, you are the Lib Dem spokesman on defence. Um, and, you know, you've got your good mucker, um, Jamie Stone, who served in the TA back in the day. Um, I mean, how's the Lib Dems setting their stall out? Um, how are they reaching out to the armed forces community? Um, I've seen my own eyes. Uh, lots of people coming out of the woodwork from the Lib Dems and becoming activists. I've met, we've interviewed James Rands, a former Lib, De uh, Lib Dem councillor um, down in Kent, a uh, good mucker of mine. Um, so, I mean, what's the Lib Dems doing? Uh, sure. The defence at the moment. Yeah. Well, we're setting up uh, an organisation called the Liberal Democrat Friends of the Armed Forces. Uh, and, and I think this is um, a, an area where, where we do we do have, as, as you've talked about, Johnny, you know, some uh, really strong historical figures. Paddy Ashton was definitely a very inspirational figure for me. But I think, you know, if, if you go back further into the into the sort of uh, decades of, of liberal history. Oh, do it all the time, obviously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you, you, you know what I got called at Sandhurst, right? You know, if, if I was if I was the inky swat, then um, then of course I do like my, uh, liberal history. But no, there, there is a really proud tradition of um, of people who are strong in defence in the Liberal Party. It, it's not you know across the board. There are activists who um, 
would probably have a very different perspective on, for example, nuclear deterrence to me. Um, and that's, that's fine. I, I respect that tradition within, within the, the Liberal Party. But also, I, uh, it's my job to find uh, a policy position for the party in conjunction with them. And, uh, and, and that, I, I find, is a, is a really interesting challenge, particularly at this time when we're you know, probably looking at a manifesto within the next sort of 12 to 15 months. Uh, and we're, you know, we're going to be judged on probably three paragraphs. It's probably, you know, realistically what a manifesto can put over in defence terms. Yeah, and uh, things like international development as well. So we're chatting to Johnny Singh, um, a Lib Dem candidate, former Chinook, uh, you know, went, won the DFC in, in Afghanistan, an absolutely epic guy, uh, but focuses a lot of his time on international development from his experience of working for NGOs um, in developing country. And I think that's a real opportunity because... That how international development's been framed politically and used as a bit of a political football really cheaply, whereas I think the public want a sensible conversation around international development, and that's obviously in the in a liberal tradition, uh, one might say. It is. I completely uh, would endorse everything you just said, Johnny. That- oh, someone that used to work for the blue team. Is that- <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I mean the. We were talking about it only today in FCDO questions. That the it's not as simple as uh, humanitarian aid. D- development is much more complex. It's it's a, a tool of influence. You know that, um, and 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 it's an influence not just within uh, an operational theatre, but it's the way that we interchange diplomacy and development. Uh, you know, the UK was was regarded as a, a very serious player in international development terms and i would wager that you know we aren't quite regarded in quite the same way uh, off the back of the the, the cuts to 0.7 percent of of gni from a couple of years ago but but i mean this this is you know this is one of the one of the points of of clear blue water between the liberal democrats and the conservatives uh, and, and I, as i've said before you know at the moment in defense terms uh what what we've seen around ukraine is is something that we are signed up to awesome so once all uh what what is it that you want to achieve in politics is there you know as we know we've got parliaments we've got 18 months left of this um who knows this might be one shot you might get re-elected who knows that's Mm going to be in the hands of someone else the electorate yeah uh but what is it you want to achieve with this political career well i think the, the first thing and the thing that all MPs have to recognise, or indeed anyone in, in representative office, is that the electorate is their their general officer commanding. You know, the the the, 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 the you're, you've got to have the reverence that you might have for uh, for your divisional commander in terms of uh, revering each and every voter because they're, they're the person or people who, who put you here, and it's to to those people to whom you're accountable, right? Um, so I, I guess first and foremost, listening properly to them, right? Uh, and that's that's no that's no mean feat because there's a lot of constituent correspondence that comes in, and to try to properly and authentically represent those views here in Parliament is is a tough challenge. I'm not going to get away from it. Um, in terms of the defence brief, I think I would uh, like to, uh, to 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 really make my party very credible in the in the defence area, and and I would say it's also seeing defence in terms of the broader um, international policy, international foreign policy, international affairs, uh, is, is what I can bring to it. I mean, I've, I've never uh, had a, a kind of uh, 
a, a fascination for the detail in terms of technology or military technology. You know, I've, I've always preferred the big picture. And um, so I, I'm very keen to get my party to think about how defence sits within the international affairs context. Richard, I think we'll leave it there. Great stuff. Thank you so much. And hopefully we'll chat again soon. Yeah, good stuff. Cheers. Thanks to our guests and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, hit subscribe now. Alternatively, you can support our mission by checking out in the show notes below where you can rate, donate or become our mate. Thank you.